Well, it's great to have you here. Um, thank you, Helen and team, for leading us. What a fantastic song to get into this word this morning. Um, I've been thinking this week, you know how you have those key learning moments in life where you sort of, you look back on life and there's something that has happened or someone said something and it just stands out as a bit of a beacon. Anyone got those in their life? I was thinking about uh, just this week, or probably the last couple of weeks really, about this moment when I was with my, um, my father. I don't know why I was there. I don't know how old I was. I just have this picture in my mind when I was with uh, him in his office. He used to be uh, part of the executive team with the RAA. And so I, for whatever reason, was in his office with him. He was sitting at his desk. I was sitting across the desk from him. And uh, his boss, the CEO of the RAA, walked in. And I remember my dad leapt to his feet, walked over, shook his hand, said hello. He said, this is David. And the boss walked over to me. And I must have been early teens. And I just kept sitting down, as sometimes early teens do. And uh, he leaned over, shook my hand. We exchanged pleasantries. He talked with dad for a bit. And out he went. And the thing that stood out to me, and I just keep coming back to is after his boss left, my dad turned to me and he, he made the comment uh, in more or less different words. He said, David, don't ever do that again. And he said, um, always stand to honor authority. Always stand to honor authority. And our, he went on to talk about how standing is this sign of respect and uh, I've just been thinking about that lately, and particularly in relation to God's Word. And we, I didn't grow up in one of those churches which stand for the reading of God's Word. I don't know how many of you did. Some of you may have. Some of you may not have. And whenever I saw it, I kind of thought it was a religious thing. And I was like, I'm not down with just religion for religion's sake, so I'm not with it. But lately, that, that word's been singing over me, that idea of stand to honor authority and so I've just been feeling, and I'm going to invite you if you want to do it, I don't want to create a religious thing that we do, uh, but if you are so inclined, if you want to honor God's word, if you want to honor God and honor the fact that we live very tiny, finite lives and just as a way of acknowledging who he is and what he's doing and his power and authority over our lives, if as we read God's word, I'm going to start inviting you to stand for the reading of God's word as a way to honor God's word. So if you want to do that, we're going to go to 2 Timothy, and if you would like to stand to reverence the reading of God's word, I'm going to invite you to do that with me as a way of honouring him and who he is and what he's done. So we're going to go from 2 Timothy. We are in chapter 2. We are at verse 8. And we're going to teach today from verse 8 through 13, which says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible letter of 2 Timothy, which we have been sitting in and resting in and wrestling with and loving every minute of. God, I pray today that you would do what you always do, that you would speak, that you would take this word, that you would make it the two-edged sword, that you would penetrate to dividing soul and spirit, and that it would not be my word, but your word, and that for each and every 
single person in this room, you would speak something into their circumstance that is going to empower them, encourage them, challenge them, uplift them, and prepare them for the week ahead to go and be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, God, that you would speak, that I would get right out of the way, because no one came here to hear David Shepherd. Everyone came here to hear a word from God. So you speak. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's saints said, amen. You may be seated. Praise God. So 2 Timothy, it is an amazing book. We've been... uh, Getting right into this last week, Jordan. Jordan did a great job last week, didn't he? Wasn't he great? Let's give him a round of applause. I don't know if he's here, but he did a great job talking about Paul's appeal to Timothy, Paul's charge to Timothy. We know that Paul is in prison, that he is uh, on the very end of his days, coming towards death. He's writing to his young, uh, his, his disciple, really. He's writing to his mentee, and he's charging him because he knows that Timothy's struggling, and he's charging him. And last week, we looked at Be like a soldier, be like an athlete, be like a farmer. Keep going, Timothy. This week, we change gears just a fraction because we we realize that what Paul is doing this week is he's, he's pausing from the charge to give some confidence. Pausing from the charge to give some confidence to Timothy. I don't know if I have any people in the room who are a bit like me. Um, and maybe speaking to those of you who are married or engaged, men particularly. But for me, I will never forget the day that I had to ask my father-in-law, if I, my, my now father-in-law, uh, if I could ask his daughter to marry me. And it was probably the scariest, most intimidating, frightening conversation I have ever had. Is anyone with me? Maybe I'm just a wuss. For me, it was terrifying. I, like, to ask Joe was simple. Like, I had swagger when I came to that conversation. I was, I was confident in the answer and the surety of her response. But when it came to asking Big Al, I, I was nervous. I was, my palms were sweating. Like, my voice was cracking. I had three opportunities to do it in person, and all three of those opportunities I passed up. So I ended up ringing him on the phone. I know. I rung him on the phone a day before that I proposed. And I remember getting on the phone and being like, hi, I mean, hi, Alan. (laughs) Voice cracking. I was petrified of that. Petrified of that conversation. I was thinking about that this week because I had a conversation with with someone, a couple of lads who have have gone through that another one or two who are about to go through that, hashtag no spoiler alerts, Uh, but there's some exciting things on the horizon for some people. And uh, we are just talking about how terrifying that moment is in terms of asking the father-in-law for your your future bride's hand in marriage. And I came back to this thing, I think it's got to do with the cause for confidence. Why did I have so much confidence in in asking Joe? And I think what it came down to is the fact that we talked about it. Like, we had this whole foundation of months of conversation, months of, like, you know, almost planning and dreaming about our future and what our future would look like. I knew that she wanted to marry me. I had such confidence in that conversation. I knew that was going to go well. But to that point, the most in-depth conversation I'd ever had with Alan was how to fillet a fish. (laughs) I liked him. 
He liked me. We got along really, really well. But it's a big, it's a different thing to get along with someone and like someone than to entrust that person with your daughter's hand for your entire life. Amen? And I, like, I knew that, that we had that relationship, but we, did not, we, we didn't have that foundation of deep conversation. I hadn't dreamt with Alan. I hadn't talked to Alan about it before. I had no surety. I had no foundation to, ha- to have confidence in his answer, especially because his daughter was 19 years old and she had three sisters who didn't even have boyfriends. Like I was out on a limb hoping that he would say yes. I had no confidence because there was no foundation on which to base my confidence. But the reason he said yes is that while I hadn't, didn't have that confidence because I hadn't had that conversation, what I learnt and what I now know as a father is that a father is always watching his children. And you see, I might not have had that confidence, but Alan had the confidence to say yes because he'd been watching us for three and a half years. And he'd been watching our relationship and he knew that I loved her and he knew that I would be faithful to her. He knew that, I would, that he could entrust her to me as her husband. You know, there's something about having a foundation of confidence, isn't there? There's something about having a foundation on which we can build our hope. And as I get to this passage today, this is what I see Paul writing to Timothy. What Paul is doing here is he is establishing a foundation for confidence. He is giving him cause for confidence. He is saying, Timothy, I have charged you to do these things. He's saying, Timothy, I know that you are going through difficulty. Timothy, I know you are afraid. I know that people around you are not just suffering, but they are dying for their faith. I know you're going through some stuff. And I know it's all well and good for me to say, keep going, keep running, keep serving, keep doing what I've called you to do. But it's another entire thing to have a foundation, to have a cause for confidence. What are the reason that you should keep running? Why should you keep serving? Why should you press in in this ministry? What is your foundation, Timothy? And so he writes to Timothy to give him cause for confidence. He writes to Timothy to say, this is why I'm, this is why I'm giving my life. This is why I'm in a prison. This is why I'm chained. This is why you, Timothy, should keep running. And it's not just a word to Timothy, it's a word to all of us. Because so often in life, we get so caught up in the cost that we forget the cause. So often in life, we get so caught up with everything going around us that we stop remembering why. We lose sight of the reason for our service. We lose sight of the reason to step out and minister and serve and give our lives to this faith. Amen? So often that is the case. And so Paul comes to Timothy and he's coming to you right here, right now, and he's saying, remember the cause. Come back to the cause. Come back to that foundation of faith. Let me tell you, Timothy, this is why you should keep running. This is why you should keep serving. This is why you should endure. This is why you should press in. There are some key things that you need, Timothy, to come back to that will inspire you, that will hold you, that will keep you safe and sure in 
this faith. When others are running away, and we learned that the other week, when others are deserting, when others are uh, just giving up on the faith, here's why you should stay. And he drops four key things from this passage on Timothy about why he should stay. And the first one he says, which is just so beautiful, from verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. He says, first and foremost, remember Jesus. Your first cause, your first foundation stone, the first thing that you need to come back to, the reason why you should carry on in this faith is because of Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't forget all that he has done. Don't forget who he is. And I don't know about you, but it's so often that we just forget. And maybe you're sitting there going, well, I've actually got a pretty good memory. Like, remember Jesus is a stupid thing to say. How can I forget Jesus? The truth is you do it every single day. I know I do. Every day I forget. I forget all sorts of things. In fact, I was thinking the other day, how many times that we've like, gone to bed and Joe said to me, oh, can you please, like, can you remind me to do this in the morning? So I'll get the phone out to make a note and I'll be like, remind Joe. And then in the morning I'll wake up and I, the note will come up and be like, Joe, I've got to remind you of something. But I can't remember what I'm supposed to remind you to remember. Anybody else? So often, like we forget all the time. And it's true for our faith. We so often, we like life throws something at us. There's a particular situation and we just like, ah, I'm so stressed about this situation. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to cope with this? The reality is you're going to cope with it the exact way you cope with it before and before and before and for generations before because Christ is faithful and he's true. We forget. Do you know when Paul writes this, this isn't just random language. This isn't just him saying, hey, remember Jesus. This is Paul using uh, Jewish traditional language. This is Exodus language. This is Deuteronomy language. This is Judges language. Read your Old Testament over and over and over again. What do the authors say to Israel? Remember the Lord your God. Why? Because they're prone to forgetting. Because, they, they, you know, the Bible calls us sheep for a reason, because we're dumb. I don't mean to offend, but we forget all the time the great and mighty works of God. All the time, we forget. Think about Israel. Think about Israel walking through the, like, God delivers them from Egypt. He literally rips them out of the hand of the most powerful nation on earth, doing incredible signs and wonders. He parts the sea. They walk through a wall of water on either side. He guards them by fire from an Egyptian army. He then crashes the water on said Egyptian army. He sets them free and then Two days later, they're complaining and arguing, wishing they could go back to Egypt because they're thirsty and hungry. What do you think God's thinking? Oh, for goodness sakes. Remember what I just did? 
Do you reckon I could feed you guys? Do you reckon I can meet your need, guys? Just maybe I can. If I can make water stand up either side and let you walk through on dry ground, just maybe I care about you enough to know your need and meet your need. And this word is so significant to Timothy because he's going through suffering. He's persecuted. He's being persecuted. He's in strife and he's wrestling with fear. He's wrestling with this idea of, can I give my life to this? And Paul says, remember Jesus. Remember what he's done. And he names two specific things. Two specific things. He says, Jesus risen from the dead, risen from the dead, and the offspring of David. Why those two? Why those two? Romans 8 verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He's alive, Timothy. He is alive. And that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you, Timothy. What can man do to you that can take you from my hand? Nothing. Nothing. They let them come. Let them persecute you. If you end up like me in a prison on your death knell, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is indwelling you and he will raise you to eternal life. So press on. Why is it worth doing? Because Jesus is alive. Why is it worth you pursuing Christ in the midst of your circumstance, no matter how difficult it is, whether you're wrestling with faith and where God is in your life, because Jesus is alive. He's alive. He is alive, somebody. Jesus is alive. That's real. That's true. He defeated death, and by faith in him, that same spirit which raised him is alive in you and will raise you. Not might raise you, will raise you unto eternal life. That's worth holding on to. Don't give up. He's alive. Why then does he say the seed of David? Why the seed of David? Because he's writing to a Jewish man. He's writing to a space where there's this whole history of this Jewish promise that the Messiah would come from the seed of David. He's saying, this guy is real. This is a real thing. Jesus, with these false teachers coming, these false teachers saying, well, Jesus is just a spirit. The resurrection's already happened. They're teaching all this nonsense. And he says, the seed of David is a way of tying Timothy back into the biblical narrative and saying, no, no, everything you were taught about the Messiah is true. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you have taught, everything you've been taught, everything that I've taught. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is real. And for you historical people out there, for you people who love to wrestle with the mind and, it's, and faith doesn't come easy, hear this. He's the seed of David. He's real. 
And there's more historical evidence for the existence of Jesus than any other historical ancient figure ever. Ever. And not just by a little bit. We're talking, like if you line the books up, it's, you know, Jesus is up to the roof and Plato's like a book on the floor. He is so real. There is so much evidence to support Jesus walking this earth, so much evidence to support the teaching of Jesus, so much evidence to support the work of Jesus, so much evidence to support the cross of Jesus, so much evidence to support the empty tomb of Jesus. He's real and he's alive and you can hold on to that. So don't give up. Don't throw it in. Don't get rid of it. Don't allow that person saying those nasty things about you and teaching that nonsense to make you throw in the towel. No, keep running, Timothy. Keep running, Hills Baptist. It's worth it because Jesus is alive. And all week, I sung this, like said this a couple of weeks ago, all week I've had that, again, that beautiful old song. We had a chance to go and pray with Heather and Ian who are going through cancer at the moment. And just hearing Ian talk, and he started talking about that beautiful old song that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Remember that. Don't forget that. Hold on to that. Because it's true and it's real. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a beautiful way of saying, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. That's your first foundation stone. Remember Jesus. The second one is in verse nine. So he says, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel. He says, for which... I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. That word, that word criminal is the same word uh, used to describe the people who were crucified next to Jesus. Uh, and it's a Greek word called uh, kakurgos, and it literally means evildoer. So he's saying, I am bound as an evildoer. So Paul a man bound in chains, so he's in a dungeon, like an old school dungeon, it's wet, it's cold, he's got chains literally around his, his ankles, he's bleeding, he's been beaten to a pulp, and he says, I'm chained as if I were an evildoer, as if I were a murderer, as if I was one of those sorts of people who just is constantly doing not just bad things, but evil things in the world. And he goes, and why? Because I am preaching the gospel. What I love about this is Paul's not pulling any punches, is he? So often we want someone to do something for us. What do we do? She'll be easy, mate. We asked people, a few years ago, asked people to come and help us move a piano. This thing's the heaviest thing you've ever seen in your life. It's one of those, what are they called, where you've got your feet, a pianola, couple of mates, oh no, just come over, give us a hand. They're like, is it heavy? Ah, oh, nah, she's right. She's all right. You'll be right. And you get them in there and once you've got them there, you're like, okay, now we're going to do it. And they realize how hard it is and they wish they'd said no. That's not Paul. That's not, he's like, dude, 
you may very well end up like me. You're a faithful, godly young man, and you may well end up being treated like, an, like a murderer, like an evildoer, like the absolute dregs of society. That's how you may suffer for this gospel. Doesn't pull any punches, lets him have it at all. But then he just carries on and he says, you may be bound, but the word of God is not bound. I love that. I love that challenge. That you know what? You might end up like me. You might end up being uh, tortured. You might go through some stuff. You might have to endure your circumstance for years and years to come. Wherever you're at, you might have some more suffering underway. But do you know what? God may well use your circumstance to advance his gospel. Because through scripture, God used even the chaining of the saints to advance the gospel. God used the martyrdom of the saints to advance the gospel. God will do anything and everything to advance the gospel because his word is not chained. His word is not bound. And history will show us that Timothy took this advice and he ran with it. And because a few faithful saints kept persevering, guess what happened to God's word? It was not bound. It was not bound. Now over 2 billion people on the planet profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? Because the word of God is not bound. And no matter what happens here, God will achieve his purpose in the world. Because the word of God is not bound. I love Isaiah 55, 10 to 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What an awesome promise. Can I encourage you this morning? Some of you have been just gently ministering to people in your lives and you, see, there's, there's, you don't see any fruit. You're like, oh, what's the point? You don't see any fruit. You think, what is the point in all this? I might as well give up. Do not give up because the word of God is not bound. What you sow now is gonna reap a harvest later. It's not for you to know when the harvest will come. Your job is simply to be faithful in the sowing, amen? Keep pressing on. We have so many people who we are investing in, who we are, who are, we are believing to come to faith and they're not at faith yet, but we will not pull the plug. We will not say, oh, it's too hard. No, 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 because the word of God is not bound and it will not return void. It will not return void. It will reap the harvest. It will obtain the very purpose for which it set out to achieve. It will achieve it. God's word is not bound. What an awesome encouragement that someone else's salvation is not dependent upon your effort, but upon God's promise and his faithfulness to his promise. So remember Jesus Christ and know that God's word is not bound. No matter what happens in this life, 
God's word is not bound and it is powerful to obtain its purpose. Let's press on. Verse 10, he drops a third, what I'm going to call foundation stone, a third cause for confidence. After saying these things, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Can I just say, I think too much ink has been spilt on that word elect. Who hears the word elect and trembles and thinks, oh, predestination, election. Do you know what? This is not, like, Paul is not right here creating a a doctrinal or theological discussion around Calvinism, Arminianism, or Calvinism, Calvinianism, or whatever you want to be called. This isn't, This isn't this conversation, right? This word elect means God's chosen people. So whether you are of the Calvinist variety, whether you're of the Arminian variety, or whether you just believe that the Bible says there's there's those who God predestined and there's free will and somehow God works both according to his glorious purpose and we can not quite fathom or understand it. Wherever you sit on that, the, the, the point remains true that God has a chosen people, that God is calling people unto himself. Right? And Paul's saying that he gives everything for those people. He gives he he has given everything. He's given his entire life to the service of God's people so that those whom God is calling would come to know him as Lord and Savior. So they would come to salvation. Why? For the eternal glorious prize. The eternal glorious prize. So don't get hung up on that word election. Get caught up in the fact that Paul says, well, I'll give, I'll endure everything. I will endure everything I can. I will give my entire life to this cause so that they might be saved. What's the message? What's the, make it plain, Dave. Here's the message. He's saying, God, from the beginning of time, since Genesis 2, when he appointed us to have dominion over the earth, he's saying, I want to achieve my purposes through my people. And every now and then he'll do something crazy like he did with Paul. But God wants to bring about his purpose through his people. And Paul's saying, because of that, because this person, God wants to bring them into eternal glory, and I get to be a part of that, I will give my life to that cause. He's saying, this is the cause for Christian confidence. This is the cause to keep running, to keep serving, because God wants to bring people to himself. God wants to bring people into eternal glory, to this beautiful prize, and that you get to walk in that, because he's risen, because his word is not bound, and because a day will come, like we just sung, that he's going to roll the heavens up like a scroll. And we're going to stand before the throne of God bringing worship. And uh, like, how good is it going to be when you get to take what the Bible calls the crown of righteousness? 
for being a faithful servant. And you get to take that reward and you get to place it at Jesus' feet. And you get to say, see that person there? They're here worshipping you in eternal glory because you, you chose to use me to speak a word to them. How good is that going to be, church? Some of you are nowhere near excited enough for that opportunity. Do you live in that space? No. Why? Because you're not remembering Jesus. Because we don't remember what he's done. We don't live with that, that headspace of, this is what he's bought for us. And so I will endure all things. Because that prize is so worth it. Because that prize is so worth anything that I have to endure in this earth. To remain faithful that I might get to sit before the throne of God and have that person sitting there knowing that God does the work but he chooses to use his people. I've just been drawn to that amazing passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul, writing about these persecutions, writing about what he's enduring to this church, and he says, for this light and momentary, light and momentary, there's a man who's been whipped, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned to the point where they thought he died. This is a, light and momentary, he calls it. I call light and momentary affliction when I go to the, my favorite tie shop and I order chuchi chicken and they give me something rubbish that's not chuchi chicken. This is what Paul calls light and momentary affliction. He says he's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Can we keep running? Can you come back to the cause for confidence? Can we fix our eyes on Jesus? Can we remember what he's done? And can we begin to walk in that beautiful, amazing promise? Be faithful. Keep running. Keep pressing in. Keep serving as God's calling you to serve. Hold fast to the faith in your situation, in your circumstance, whatever you're going through, whether you're a young person here and you're, you know, you're struggling with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you're struggling with sexual purity. Can you take your eyes off of that for a moment and fix it on the eternal weight of glory for just a moment and realize that it's in your faithfulness that you're actually sowing some seeds that are creating a life that is going to actually show confidence in the faith that you have in Christ? Can you trust God in that? If you've got struggles at work, can you fix your eyes on Jesus, not on the issue at work? If you've got struggles in your marriage, can you take a moment and fix your eyes on Jesus? Can we do that, church? Can we begin to be a church that's actually fixing our eyes on Christ, remembering Jesus, remembering his amazing work and realizing that there is nothing that can take you from the hand of God? So take a moment to bow the knee and offer your hearts again. And here's this last beautiful passage in verse 14. And I'm gonna invite the band up and we will close. So verse 11 through 13, sorry, Paul says, he, he, he quotes this beautiful ancient Christian poem. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. So this is where he's talking about that, who Jesus is, 
what he's done. He's just recounting what he's just said in verse 8, 9, and 10. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. He's saying, don't forsake Christ. Why? Because he is faithful to his promise. If we are faithless, when we struggle, when we are tripping over ourselves, when we are uh, forsaking the things that God has called us to do, get back up and keep running because he is faithful. You know, some people will preach this and they'll talk about that, they'll focus on that little bit. If we deny him, then he'll deny us. But think about Peter. What did Peter do? What did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. What did, he, what did Jesus say to him when Peter came back with a repentant heart? Did he say, bad luck, champion? Bad luck, mate. You denied me three times. Now get lost. Is that what he did? No. No, he didn't. He sat with him and he spoke into his life and he reminded him of his call and he said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And he said, go and feed my sheep. Go and feed my sheep. Go and feed my sheep. He reminded him of who he is. He reinstated him. And I want to tell you this morning that no matter where you're at, what you're going through, whether you're struggling with faith, God is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to you. And if you get to the end of your days and you stand before that judgment seat of God and you say, I didn't want anything to do with Christ, and the truth is that he will deny you on that day. But at any time, at any moment, at any season in life, when you hear the word of God, know that he is the one calling you. He is the one drawing you. He is the one pursuing you. You are the lost one of the sheep. There's 99. You are the lost one and he is the one coming to you. This is our God. He is seeking, pursuing. He is giving everything to come and get us. Why? Because he is faithful to his promise. Even when we are faithless, our God is faithful and true. It is never, ever, ever, ever too late to get back running in the call of God upon your life. Do not ever say, I'm too old. Too much has happened. I'm too broken. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. God will use what you have been through. He will use your situation to bring glory to his name. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, he is faithful to his promise. He's pursued you from the moment before you were even a breath on your parents' lips. He has pursued you and he's pursuing you now. And he's saying, come on, come on, come with me. Step up, step into the call. I have a mighty call upon your life because there is people who are around you who need to know the eternal, glorious salvation and they need to step into that eternal weight of glory. It's never too late. It's never, ever, ever too late. And this is Paul's reminder to Timothy. Timothy, you've struggled, you've labored, you've battled, you're struggling with fear. I see that these false teachers are, are throwing you around from, from wind to wind. You, you, you're in this weird dynamic and, and strange place. Timothy, guess what? God's faithful. Timothy, guess what? God still loves you. God still has a, he still has a call upon your life. So get running. Get back up. Get back up. 
get back up, keep running, keep walking. There he is. He's got his hand in the cut. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's our God. And how do you know that? Remember Jesus. He didn't die so that the moment we make a mistake, he could just go. He's faithful to the end. And he's calling you to a life of faith in response to his faithfulness. So can you stand to your feet? And we're going to pray as a church together right now. Just in that space of encouragement. I don't know what God's been stirring on your heart as his word has been going out. But I pray that what you're sitting with right now is a great conviction and encouragement, no matter what you're going through, that you have a faithful God to remember what Christ has done for you and to get back to running for the gospel, to get back serving, to get back following him, to get back to praying for those you once prayed for, to get back to loving those you once loved, to come back to that space of faith. So let me pray for you, wherever you're at, that you'd walk in that place. Loving Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church which is not a building, which is not a name, which is a gathering of believers of all shapes and sizes, of all demographics, of all walks of life, of different passions, of different ideas even about what's right and wrong. And you love us all. And you died for your church that we might be faithful to the call because you are faithful to us. So Father, I just want to pray for each and every person here and especially those in our midst who are feeling the weight of life and feeling the burden of life and feeling like maybe they've been bumped off course this morning. God, would they stretch out their hand to take yours, which is stretching out to them. That they would come back to that foundation, come back to the cause for which they once had confidence that they would no longer walk in anxiety and trepidation and fear because they're not looking at their, their cause for confidence. They're looking at the cost. They're looking at all the other things in life. But God, today, this morning, we come back to that foundation. We remember you, Jesus. And God, if it was good enough for Timothy, it's good enough for us. So this morning, we remember you, Lord. We remember what you have done for us. We take your hands. And we want to follow you. We want to run the race with perseverance. We want to press on toward the prize.
Father, we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you that you are good and faithful and true. So we surrender to you today. And may we, as your gathered body, your church, be a church whose eyes are not on anything else that the world would try and sway us to. But may our eyes be on you. And the eternal glory that awaits all those who would believe. So we love you, Lord. We give you honor, we give you praise, and we give you glory. And together with one voice, all God's children said, Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.